0: Section 29 of Monologues. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Summer Holiday Day after day for thirty days the sun shone on the windless and perspiring city, the city that had complained so often of the cool grey tent of clouds that had screened it from the heat of summer night after night for thirty nights the city lay in breathless topper while the feet of men who could not sleep echoed dully on the softening pavements and the air was troubled with the sound of children crying in their dreams the aged and the sick loosed their listless fingers and let life pass and when he looked from his window the artist saw their dusty hearses creeping along the burning street in those days he was afflicted with the lethargy of mind and body against which in moments of consciousness his creative instinct struggled in vain he would sit for hours in front of the white sheet of paper and at the end would start up to realize that in all his mental wanderings he had not shaped one coherent thought he would lie in bed hour after hour in a kind of dreamless stupor and sometimes when he had at last made up his mind to get up, the sky darkened while he was dressing, and he knew the day was over. On these occasions it gave him an odd sensation to stand at the window in his pajamas and peep through the Venetian blinds at the men and women going home from their work. It reminded him of the sunny days of his childhood when, having been sent to lie down for an hour in the afternoon, he would lift the blinds stealthily, to look out at the busy world with blinking eyes. The recollection made him sad, and he would stare at the crumpled bedclothes in disgust of his age. It seemed as though the years had soiled him in their passing. At this time it was as if his mind had lost the power of creation. It exhausted itself in the labor of thinking, while he was dimly conscious that he was not thinking of anything at all. He achieved extreme misery as a condition of being, and not as the result of any mental process. His senses became dulled and untrustworthy. He went for moody walks without realizing any of the scents or sounds of the streets, and when he touched his body with his hands it was so insentient that he would dig his nails in to make sure that it was not dead. This numbness of his intellect and his senses seemed to make a break or at least a weak link in the continuity of his existence. When he closed his eyes to examine his consciousness, he was aware of the immense voids where normally he would have found pulsing blood and eloquent nerves. From being a man with rather more than his share of the wine of life, he became a sluggish automaton, but vaguely mournful of lost treasures and present discomforts. Now and again, however, he would realize that he was doing no work, and, before he relapsed into his age-long topper, would weary his barren mind with efforts at creation. Afterwards, looking back at his life with its hundred thousand follies, he knew that these only were lost days. The thirty-first day came and still there was no rain, so the artist abandoned his work and fled to the sea. As he sat in the train, he saw the fields were scorched brown by the sun, and the trees were losing their withered leaves. But London was already very far away. Once the train ran past a burning heath, and the carriage was filled with the acrid scent of a November bonfire. He saw children beating at the edges of the fire with uprooted bushes, and a pall of smoke borne up on the heavy air but the train ran on and brought him to the sea like most men who work for love he had never thought of taking a holiday since he had been his own master wherever he had gone in the world his work had gone with him and the emotions bred of his resolution to do nothing for a month were new to him freed from his concern with words and phrases his mind saw life in greater detail and he was curiously conscious of the shapes and colours of things he had chosen a sophisticated little watering-place on the belgian coast for his holiday where side by side with the row of tall hotels that stood like a great wall against the sea the sand dunes upheld the blue sky with their crests of pale gold like the hair of flemish fisher girls the lemon-colored beach was inlaid with bathing machines of a hundred hues, and below the dunes the great black fishing-boats lay high and dry on the sands, the pennants of their weather-cocks fluttering softly in the wind that blew from the sea. The shore was studded with the figures of men and women, and the children were trampling down surf with their brown feet other children were flying kites and the air was full of strange birds that plucked impatiently at the cord that bound them to earth and when they succeeded in breaking it fell to the ground too weak to make use of their freedom behind the little town lay the tranquil plains of western flanders a fertile land of canals and farms and windmills and far off the horizon he could see the purple towers of bruges in his new mood for holiday-maker he looked at his companions in the town with interest they were gay and cosmopolitan and seemed to have been making holiday for years the grave faces of the fishermen contrasted oddly with this light-heartedness perhaps they were dreaming of long winter months when the town was their own and the only good flemish was heard in the reticent streets when the north sea roared in flemish against the breakwaters that murmured now in conversational french to please the children of the visitors the fishermen stood apart in silent groups waiting for the tide to release their boats the artist would have liked to talk with them but he knew no flemish the red sun set into the sea, the laughing crowd split into families and went into to dinner, and the artist was moved by a sudden sense of loneliness. Everyone in the place seemed to be gregarious. The visitors, the fishermen, even inanimate objects, the hotels, the boats, and the bathing machines formed themselves naturally into flocks. He shivered and climbed down the beach to make friends with the sea the tide came in rapidly on the gently sloping sands and when the tongue of a ninth wave licked his boots he thought of the trusting advances of a large and amiable dog this sea was a tame beast that made the great sea-wall and the elaborate backwaters appear ridiculous it hardly had the force to overcome the sand-castles that the children had left behind them to guard the deserted beach and in its gentle approach it brought him shy presents of fragile shells and bushels of seaweeds like baby's nosegays, but it pressed him back foot by foot, and presently the swart fishing boats hoisted their sails and crept out one by one under the sky, already faintly powdered with stars. An orchestra struck up a waltz above him on the dig, and he saw that the windows of the hotels were blazing with light, and the guests were dancing with the shadows of the esplanade as yet he was content to taste the holiday spirit timidly for it seemed to him strong drink for any one who was not accustomed to it a man may not learn in a moment to talk aloud to strangers to substitute laughter for thought to dance under the stars and to patronize the sea so the artist kept to himself on the fringe of the crowd and smiled encouragingly to himself to prove that he was making holiday it would be pleasant he thought, after a month of unsuccessful struggle, to be merged in this universal unconsciousness. These people could express themselves efficiently by doing nothing at all. Perhaps he could win the secret of their joyous self-satisfaction in a place where even the sea was only a blithely insignificant tourist. He felt the passionate longing of every artist to enjoy life for its own sake. When the orchestra commenced the seventh waltz he had left the dancers and turned inland along a dusty road that stretched, monotonously level, across uneventful fields. The night had not succeeded in enriching this dully prosperous plain with her mystery. The sparse trees did not bear themselves as giants. There were no mists to change the crop pasture lands into violet lakes every dusty twig every sandy blade of grass stood revealed as by the light of a gray november day and then he came up to a great flock of sheep that was gracing its way along the wide grassy borders of the road he heard their teeth tearing through the tough grass and the barking of the sheepdogs on the skirts of the flock presently he overtook the three shepherds with their long poles and coats of undressed sheepskin they pointed aloft and cried something to him in flemish and following their gesture, he saw the red light high up in the sky. The boys had sent up a fire balloon from the beach below the town, and now it had dwindled to the size of a great red star. The artist looked at the sheep, at the three shepherds, at the new star that shamed all the lesser lights of heaven. Then he hurried back to his hotel and started writing. He realized that in a life so short, in a world that at every turn of the road could prove significant, there was no time to cease from effort. Below him on the esplanade, the orchestra was tuning up for the fourteenth waltz, and the scraping of their bows disturbed the whispering of the gentle sea. His holiday was over. End of section twenty nine.